Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Pulled from the hottest topics coming across our news desk, I'm Elissa Branch, and this is Housing Wire Daily. Today's episode continues our Houses in Motion mini-series and features an interview with Jonathan Miller, President and CEO of Miller Samuel, our real estate appraisal and consulting firm. During the interview, Miller discusses the ins and outs of the appraisal industry and its leadership, including the recent allegations about racial discrimination from individual appraisers. But before we listen, here's a brief word from our sponsor. At Atlantic Bay Mortgage Group, we know your vision of success is unique to you. That's why your goals and our culture of support go hand in hand. We give you the tools and support you need to thrive and live your best life. Come home to Atlantic Bay. Visit joinatlanticbay.com to explore what's possible. Atlantic Bay Mortgage Group, NMLS number 72043, is an equal opportunity employer. Hello, and welcome to Houses in Motion, Housing Wire Daily's weekly look at the U.S. real estate market. For our second episode, I'm tackling an important subject that is, well, real estate adjacent, I would say, and that's the life and times of the appraiser. Appraisers have made national headlines the past year for the wrong reasons. Stories in the New York Times and Chicago Public Radio reported instances of racial discrimination and how appraisers value homes. What do those incriminating stories suggest about the appraiser profession as a whole? We seek answers by talking to Jonathan Miller. For 35 years, Jonathan has been a real estate appraiser himself with Miller Samuel, valuing homes in Connecticut and New York. He's also one of the most respected voices in appraisal and, for that matter, providing information about the real estate market. In my time as a real estate reporter, I've come to rely on Jonathan, not just for the monthly market reports his firm publishes, but an ability to place those numbers in a historic context. Jonathan is one of my most enjoyable and illuminating sources to talk to. And I hope that after this conversation, you'll see what I mean. Jonathan, why don't you talk a little bit about yourself and kind of explain what an appraiser is? Sure. Uh, Like you said, I'm a real estate appraiser. My company is called Miller Samuel. We've been in business since 1986, uh, so I'm ancient, and I think I, that uh, reflects the industry. Our industry right. uh, appraisers is aging out, uh, although we have people in our company far younger than me. I'm the oldest uh, by far, um, but uh, you know that's one of the things that is concerning about the industry um, is the ability to track new talent you know, younger talent into the industry. And it's been, last decade or so, has been a lot of turmoil. Uh, when we think about what an appraiser does, mm-hmm. uh, we um, uh, we provide value opinions on property as of certain moments in time. So, uh, you know, I think the most commonly understood use of an appraiser's services is in a mortgage where uh, someone's buying a property or refinancing a property they Mm -hmm. own and the lender works or uh, uh, has the appraiser go out uh, and uh, come up with a value. And then the lender makes 
uh, a uh, an underwriting decision based on that valuation, it may or may not agree with uh, the purchase price, or may or may not agree with the uh, what the borrower thinks their home is worth. As we know, home values are wildly personal to many, <laughs> including myself, and and so uh, uh, you know, so that gets complicated. In a perfect world, the appraiser should be able to operate independently without pressure to, you know, quote, air quote, sort of hit a number, which was the uh, default world that many appraisers found themselves in during the financial crisis, the housing bubble, um, where, you know, a borrower just had to have a pulse or fog a mirror to get a mortgage. And the appraiser, I had an uh, appraiser colleague of mine tell me a long time ago, he said during that era, everybody's smarter than you. Everybody knows the number already. The, you know, the buyer, the seller, uh, the mortgage broker that's going to get a commission, the brokers that are going to get a commission, everybody knows the number and you're last to the party and you can be very disruptive. So, you know, so the industry is pretty challenging in that regard. And unfortunately, and we can get into it, but unfortunately the industry and on the ground appraisers are often left twisting in the, in the wind mm-hmm. when um, the people that are going after them don't even understand what we do. Yeah. Thanks. And that, that provides a lot of great historic context. I mean, there are a few things to hit on from that. I mean, one thing that you started off with is sort of saying, you know, the profession is old, the appraisal Institute, the trade group, they say 61 years old is the average age of an appraiser. I believe I'm saying this off the top of my head, but I think 85% are white, maybe even more than that. Um, It's over 75% are male. Why do you think that the appraisal industry is a not reflective of sort of the labor force in the U.S. as a whole, and B has had trouble recruiting younger people? Sure. Well, I think they they go together those two questions uh, because one leads to the other, and I'll lay it out. And in fact, those percentages, uh, eighty five or whatever the number yeah. was for that was for the appraisal institute. If you look at the uh, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, uh, the BLS, uh, where they track 400 occupations in the U.S., mm-hmm. the uh, the percentage of white appraisers is 96.5%. Wow. We are dead dead last as an industry, and uh, and believe it or not, farmers and ranchers are more diverse than real estate appraisers, and. <laughs> That's not the fault of real estate appraisers. Uh, that's the fault of how do you get into the profession? You know, what's the entry? How does that work? How does licensing work? So, unlike accountants and uh, lawyers and um, other professional practices, the way appraising works uh, to get into the profession uh, is it almost is a who you know industry mm-hmm. uh, where where you get a job working for a relative or a friend and um, and then you have to spend two years accumulating experience so that you can get your license or your certification. 
And uh, the problem with that structure is that for two years, you're, you know, if, if an appraisal firm that you're working for uh, does mostly work for mortgages, uh, like purchase purchases or refinances, yeah. uh, for two years, uh, you're a cost burden on the appraiser, uh, on the appraisal firm, because in banks, even though the GSEs, Fannie and Freddie, are perfectly fine with trainees or, you know, uh, which has sort of become a derogatory term, but an apprentice would be a better term to describe somebody that has less than two years experience, um, you know, perhaps taking all the coursework that's required, uh, but they can't sign off on a report by themselves with most lenders. Most banks, uh, since the financial crisis, have lost muscle memory to the way it was pre-financial, you know, housing bubble when, um, you know, if you had a an experienced appraiser, say the principal of that firm sign off on the report, but now most lenders are, you know, require the appraiser, uh, the reviewer, the supervisor, the, you know, there's usually two signatures on a report to actually physically inspect the interior of the property as well. So you can imagine that means a senior person can't really do their own appraising because they're going to be running around with right. someone for two years to get them trained or to get enough experience. A lot of this stems from, you know, if you really focus on the challenge of the problem is really on leadership in the industry. It's not mm-hmm. so much, you know, when you think of appraisers, appraisers, as I've always said in my blog and just in public you know, we're lone wolves for the most part. Our industry is comprised of solo practitioners. There's you know, no maybe type of a like couple union of or guild or anything like that. Or? There is, there is one, but it it's called AGA, but it's not a dominant uh, in terms of membership. I think the the yeah. bigger membership is seen in the trade groups and the pre, you know the the biggest one. Uh, is called the Appraisal Institute, but right. they're a trade group, you know, and their their mission is to, you know, uh, enhance the profession to help their members. But as I've pointed out in many of my writings, the two biggest organizations that lead our industry, the, the Appraisal Foundation, uh, which manages mm-hmm. USPAP, which is our uniform standards professional appraisal practice, the things we need to do to maintain our license or certification. They're in charge of that. And so that's very important. And then the other is the appraisal Institute, which, you know, from a branding and professionalism, you know, they're, they're representing their members to the public. The problem is Mm -hmm. that uh, both of these organizations for decades have been mired in their own sort of self-dealing and corruption uh, or whatever, however you want to call it. And there's very little focus on appraisers. And and not only that, commercial appraisers in the Appraisal Institute are kind of all that matter. And so residential appraisers, like I, I have a general license or certification, mm-hmm. which means I, I'm commercial and residential, but a residential certified appraiser, you know, someone that appraises residential properties right. for a living, aren't really they're sort of persona non grata with the, this big trade group. 
yeah. and the Appraisal Institute. And it doesn't have to be that way. It wasn't that way when I was involved with it 10 or 15 years ago. Um, before, because I want to talk more about the leadership thing and sort of the idea of sure. the as lone wolf. But I think first for the audience, we should just hit on a couple of things. One, which you're about to talk about before I interrupted you, which is the bias thing. So there is, yeah. just to provide some context, a lot of people who have not dealt with an appraiser through the home buying process have heard of an appraiser through stories, the New York Times, the Washington Post, National Public Radio, about individual instances of an appraiser goes into a home, they see pictures on the home of a Black family, they give the home a lower value than pictures of a white family adorning the fireplace. There are uh, several of these sort of pretty outrageous sounding individual instances, and, and we can talk about that in a second, sure. sort of your thoughts on that. The other kind of thing that we should hit on, I think, before we get into sort of the leadership thing is the appraisal management company and kind of what role that they play kind of as the middleman between the appraiser and lender. And then maybe we can circle back into some of the the leader the leadership issues, which kind of are maybe why the problems we're about to talk about are not being solved. But anyway, right. Well, uh, so uh, before I get to that, I'll I'll sort of feed into what you just said because it leads to the bias, the reason why we we have sure. this yeah. narrative about the industry, a biased narrative, is that. Uh, uh, after the financial crisis uh, in May 1st of 2009, we had something called the Home Valuation Code of Conduct, mm -hmm. which is HVCC, which is pronounced havoc uh, <laughs> because that's what it uh, that's what it brought to the industry. Uh, because what it did is it enabled uh, you know what are known as AMCs or appraisal management companies, which are on paper make a lot of sense, but there's a wide disparity in how some operate versus others. Yeah. Um, and essentially they're an institutional middleman. Um, and so the way I think of it is if you were a movie star mm -hmm. and you were hired to be in a picture yeah, and your agent that got you the gig, uh, you know, might get 10%. In the appraisal world, they get fifty percent, <laughs> and uh, and so you know, and they've also lobbied. They lobby very hard against any kind of disclosure of them being an admin fee. They want it sort of buried in the appraisal fee on the uh, the mortgage applications. Yeah. So, so for example, you know, making this up, the appraisal fee happens to be five hundred dollars. Mm -hmm. um, you know, once 2009 hit, and by the way, HVCC has been rolled, was rolled, it sunsetted, but it was rolled into Dodd-Frank. And so, mm -hmm. uh, and it's embedded into institutional policy everywhere. Yeah. Um, and it enabled the institutional middleman, which was AMCs, which was in theory, a firewall. It was like have a bank having its own, uh, you know, firewall between the loan officers and the um, appraisers. So now you have an appraisal that you get 250 instead of 500. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so 
the, the AMC industry, I remember at the time, uh, proclaimed that they've seen no deterioration in quality. And, and you know, with, with fees being cut by 50%. Right. And I thought to myself, wow, what a great thing. Corporate America or like law <laughs> firms could say to all their students coming out of college, hey, guess what? Uh, we're going to cut all everybody, you know, the salaries we're offering by 50%. It's a bizarre sort of thinking because you get what you pay for. So I think what's happened is um, in mentoring, you know, a senior, you know, an appraiser that has a firm, you know, like, like I'd be a typical example. Well, if there's fee compression and now my fee is 50% less Mm -hmm. than it was, well, guess what? It's a lot harder to carry somebody for a couple of years. You you would pay them something, right. but not what they not what they would be if they were a certified appraiser. It'd be something less, usually less than what people could live on. And and now you're compromised financially because you're giving for some unknown reason to me, somehow you're paying the mortgage applicant, the borrower mm-hmm. is paying 50% of their fee to, you know, it says appraisal fee. Mm-hmm. So here's a $500 fee, free AMC sort of pre-havoc, pre-HVCC yeah. um, becoming, could be coming instead of $1,000, becoming $2,000. And not only that, but when the appraisal, when when the, a, in, depending on the way the contracts are arranged between the banks and the AMCs, a lot of AMCs might take five or six days to find somebody to work for a lower fee than what the consensus is mm-hmm. because they get to keep the difference. So what we're finding is the AMC process is actually more expensive for the consumer right. and it's, and it just, it damages appraisal quality. It damages new entry into the profession and it is uh, misrepresenting to the um to the borrower. So from your perspective, the appraisal management company pretty much demoralizing the appraiser. And then we have all the other problems that you mentioned at the start, including, you know, the training program, including weak leadership, which we can return to in a second. So with all this, I mean, I think you mentioned earlier, the phrase you used was, you know, twisting in the wind, the appraiser. So with all of that, the climate, I mean, it does not like I'm, a journalist, it's not a very easy profession, but I mean, it sounds very easy after what I've heard about an appraiser. So like what, given, I guess, all this context that we now have about an appraiser, what can we now make of these bias charges and this sort of very serious claim, which the Biden administration is looking into that there's systemic racial bias where appraisers are undervaluing the homes of minority homeowners. Right. Systemic racism isn't unique to the appraisal industry. It's in, in my view, it's everywhere. It's part of our system. The housing system, as we know it, Fannie Mae uh, was set up on racism. Uh, You know, what neighborhoods were good neighborhoods? What neighborhoods were bad neighborhoods? There were maps. It's all online. You can find it easily. Uh, So the, Housing was systemically racist 
from the beginning of sort of organized secondary markets, all that sort of thing. Uh, Not only that, housing as a concept, I mean, I'm in the Northeastern United States and deed restrictions on, you know, restrictions on race or religion or, you know, very common until the 60s and early 70s. So the system itself has this residual legacy of systemic racism. And then what you do is you have this, you know, you have this sort of scenario. And I think a lot of this comes from, there was a report from Brookings uh, back in 2018 that is used as proof about and and inferring that all appraisers are racist. Uh, And what's amazing about this disconnect is that when you read the paper, it's called a credibility leap. There's no connection. They basically look at demographics and say, you know, all over the U.S., you know, neighborhoods that uh, the racial composition is uh, skewed towards minorities has yeah. lower housing values than those skewed for, you know, whites or, you know, non-minority populations. And therefore, uh, the appraisers are making those markets less expensive. Mm-hmm. And then you throw in, you know, individual scenarios. I think there's like four or five examples that are floating around and being repeated over and over again, you know, sure. covered in um, a couple of TV stations in California covered the New York times did a story and um, you know, and then it's been regurgitated sort of, you know, in other outlets as well. And it becomes like this sort of fact when in fact, in the paper, when you read it, they don't understand what an appraiser actually does. I'm not saying there isn't racism and valuation that all appraisers are neutral, uh, just like any profession. I think that's impossible to proclaim. In fact, uh, back in, um, I think it was 2019, all the leaders in the appraisal profession testified in front of Congress they were all white male, except for one female, right. and they all said there's no racism in valuation. Well, there has to be. Yeah. I mean, there's no absolute here. There has to be, and it, you know, and we don't really know what it is, uh, you know, how large it is. But I, I'm of the opinion it's probably no different than society. But the problem is that when an appraiser goes into a property, they are not making the value. They are observers of conditions that exist in the property. Mm-hmm. And, and if I'm appraising uh, in a highly affluent area with 5,000 or 8,000 square foot McMansions, I'm, you know, in the median price is $3 million. I'm not going to look at homes that are in a $500,000 price category. We're the as an industry, we're the observers. That's what market it. You know, we're we're trying to suss out what a reasonable price is. Um, yeah. And anyway, that's the that's sort of the you know the 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 underlying flaw. And then the pro, the reason the twisting of the wind part is. So you have this. You have a Brookings report that comes out, right. um, uh, fatally flawed in terms of not understanding what appraisers do. I'm not taking away from the idea that you have lower housing prices in uh, in some areas versus other areas. I mean, that's 
back. It's gotten I mean, worse that, since since redlining, I, I would add. But. Right, right, exactly. We have uh, lenders. You know, there were redlining laws. That, you know, that anti-redlining now. You know, that you have to be very careful of. There's all that sort of thing, but you know, there's still these issues appear. Newsday did a big story on Long Island about the real estate brokerage industry. And there were, you know, examples of, you know, steering to different neighborhoods and all that sort of thing. So that sort of stuff exists, but the act of valuation uh, is not the reason for, uh, you know, an affluent area of Chicago to be worth more. That's not the appraiser saying, Hey, let me hit the number, make it lower. They're using sales nearby. So, you know, it the methodology of what market value is, that is what lenders lend on, right? They lend on market value. They don't lend generally on cost. Uh, they don't, they really look at that. And then one other point I'll make, um, but because you can see this can be a five-hour discussion. It can. Is, <laughs> is what's really interesting about the lack of understanding about what an appraiser mm-hmm. does in the narrative is that price appreciation largely comes from the value of the land. Yeah. Uh, so an empty lot in a poor neighborhood mm-hmm. versus an empty lot in an affluent area don't have pictures of the residents on the wall and it, they still come in lower. Like it, it is, um, you know, it's sort of like this weird explanation where we have examples of, you know, bias or prejudice behavior, which, you know, uh, which, you know, project this narrative. Yeah. We have a study that we have a study that doesn't understand what we do and makes a credibility leap between, you know, uh, housing prices in low priced areas. And it's a hop, skip and a jump to say, well, appraisers are lowering the value, you know, like basically keeping the values down means they don't understand what we do. Therefore, problems with the Appraisal Institute in leadership, the whiteness of the appraisal industry rests almost entirely on the Appraisal Foundation uh, which is monitors our standards. And I can just say that in 30 years of its existence, uh, for the first time, one of its boards, under pressure from people like me and a, a band of other like-minded people, yeah. succumbed to pressure and uh, actually have an African-American on a technical board, which right. hadn't happened in 30 years. And that technical board determines qualifications to become an appraiser. So you can see like the problem that the problem is coming from the top. It's not the the problem isn't specific to appraising on the ground level. No, that makes a lot of sense. I think just to give our listeners some context, I think that was Andre Perry who did the Brookings study and then Elizabeth Corver Glenn and Jania Howe, uh, they're um, two sociologists, I believe, um, University of New Mexico, University of Pittsburgh, they did a similar study, which I found personally to be a little uh, more robust than the Brookings study. And they were basically looking at the uh, the valuation of homes since basically after 1977, when redlining was, okay, completely, totally, officially outlawed by the federal government. And they right. basically found that like, 
in white neighborhoods, the, um, you know, the valuation of homes, predominantly white neighborhoods, obviously there are, you have to, how they define white neighborhoods and their methodology can be a question, but basically in white neighborhoods, the value of homes has gone up. Black neighborhoods adjusted for inflation, the value uh, has gone down. And I think that correlation is not causation. You know, this is not the fault of the solitary appraiser. This is the fault, as you say, of the housing industry writ large. And, and you, you know, get into sort of the futility of reform with some of the, with the appraisal foundation, with the appraisal institute. I guess, like, I would want to, like, leave this discussion kind of asking you, you know, what kind of agency do individual appraisers and the appraisal profession have to sort of correct what seems to be a growing gap in valuation? Like, is there something, and again, like you say, this can be a five-hour conversation, but is there something you see in appraisal methodology, whether it's this sort of focus on like comparable homes or like a home in Watts in LA that's identical to a home in Pasadena is like somehow like a third of the value of a home in Pasadena. Like, is there right. something flawed with that? Is there something flawed in sort of the uh, standards that the appraisal foundation has concocted? Is there something flawed with the appraiser being pressured by the AMC? What, what can appraisers do to at least in some small level address this? Right. So uh, that's an important question. You really sort of wrapped it all up together in a nice bow in terms of what the challenges and the issues are. And, yeah. and, and it's, we're particularly vulnerable as an industry because we really are on our own, uh, the way I look mm-hmm. at it. Yeah. And, uh, and so... You have like no, no lobby, no like NAR, National Association of Realtors, the early fights. That's what the Appraisal Institute's supposed to be. It doesn't mean that they don't lobby. It just means that they're ineffective. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and part of it's not their fault. We're tiny as an industry. NAR has, uh, I think, a million four or a million five members right now. Yeah. Um, just actual credentialed appraisers in the U.S. is like 77,000. And that's including people that might have, like I have a license in two states. So I have two credentials. So you would, um, count, so, you would count twice. So I could be counted twice. I, you know, So the problem is uh, we're tiny, but yet we're also, you know, we go from the housing bubble where appraisers are sort of economically manipulated or you go out of business and many places have kids, a mortgage. And so you start doing some soul searching about whether you get an assignment from a lender during the housing bubble Um, uh, because they give it to the good appraisers and air quotes, uh, the ones that would make, you know, make the numbers. And guess what? Those people are all gone now, which Mm -hmm. is kind of interesting. Um, And then you have, uh, you have periods like now where um, you know the market's moving so quickly and appraisers are struggling just to keep up with the volume. Um, you know, appraisers are are really challenged. And one of the challenges has been keeping up with the market just because the market has been rising so quickly, although we're starting to see some signs of activity yeah. starting to cool. So the the only thing I could say, like my my approach has been, you know, be the loudest person in the room, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, sp- speak out. There's a 
handful of people that work with me. And just imagine if there were a lot more that can reach out. We're really on our own until there's a leadership turnover at um, both the Appraisal Institute and the Appraisal Foundation. And both of those you know, situations are in flux right now. Like that could yeah. actually happen within the next few years um, or sooner. It depends, but but everything takes time. It takes a year, takes, mm-hmm. you know, two years. The whole thing, it's just a mess. And and I think we still have a couple of years to sort this out. And I can assure you, I'm going to be very outspoken about it. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. And um, this was very good conversation on a difficult subject to talk about. And I really appreciate your time, Jonathan. And My pleasure. Yeah. Before we go, again, this is Housing Wire Daily, Houses in Motion. And yeah, do you want to maybe, uh, you alluded to sort of the writing and work you do. Uh, sure. Times. Uh, so where can, where can folks read you and follow you? I promise it's easy once you subscribe to unsubscribe if I'm annoying, <laughs> uh, because I, I, I publish a newsletter called Housing Notes, got a pretty wide following. Uh, and you can get that uh, sign up at millersamuel.com, which is a home, home page of uh, my appraisal company, Miller Samuel. And that comes out at 2 p.m. every Friday. And we publish lots of market research and lots of articles about housing. Um, but we also have a section there, which I call Appraiserville. And uh, and it's really been a an outlet for me to convey documents and actions of the parties that we've been talking about to give you links, to give you access to information so you can read in real time, essentially, what is what is happening. And um, and it's free. Yeah, it's free. I read it every every Friday. It's it's very helpful for my work. So subscribe. You can easily unsubscribe. Sounds like. Which is, <laughs> yeah. Th- thanks so much again. And this is this has been Housing Wire Daily. I'll talk to you next week. Sounds great. Now more than ever, the housing industry is looking to its leaders for answers. That's why each week, the Housing News Podcast invites a new mortgage, fintech, or real estate executive to the show to provide its listeners with more perspective on the announcements and news stories crossing Housing Wire's news desk. Hosted by Sarah Wheeler and produced by Alcina Lloyd, the Housing News Podcast is now available on iTunes, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, and more. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode and we'll catch everyone back here again tomorrow.